Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, it is great to have you with us today, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I'm really glad that you chose to celebrate the birth of Jesus with us. And I love the video that we just watched. That was the story of Christmas through the eyes of an eight-year-old. And the storyteller is actually my daughter, Leah Claire. It was really funny. A few days ago, uh, she was off by herself writing or drawing something. I didn't know what she was doing. And then a few minutes later, she came over with this paper, and she had written her version of the Christmas story from memory. And I don't want to be that dad bragging about his kids, but I thought she did a great job. And I asked her if it was okay to share that with all of you, and she was cool with that. Uh, but that got me to thinking about how all of us view the original story of Christmas. Uh, it's, it's a familiar story, but if each one of us sat down like Leah Claire and we wrote out our own version, I'm sure that we'd all approach it from a different perspective. We'd emphasize some things and we'd leave out other things. And the truth is, that's exactly what we see in Scripture. Uh, the Bible has four books that are basically biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And all of those books have their own special take on Christmas. If you want to get the classic version, Luke is your go-to guy. He's the one with the shepherds and the angels and the baby Jesus in the manger. And if you only hear one passage of Scripture this time of year, it's probably going to be Luke chapter 2. Now, John comes at Christmas from a totally different angle. He doesn't give you the nativity scene. John gives you more of the cosmic perspective. Uh, he goes all the way back to the beginning of time because he wants to establish that Jesus was more than just a man. He's the man who is also God. Now, with Mark, all you get is crickets. <laughs> he just skips right over the birth of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, all of a sudden, Jesus is just an adult right away. But for the past few weeks, we haven't focused on Mark or John or Luke. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew begins the story of Jesus with a long list of names. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It's his family tree. Now, to be fair, uh, Matthew does go on to tell more of the Christmas story. He's the one who talks about the wise men and crazy King Herod. So uh, four different Gospels with four different perspectives. And no matter which version you hear, the story of the birth of Jesus is always a good one. But there's a bigger question we need to deal with. Why does it matter? How is the Christmas story more than just a good story? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. It would be a tragedy to go through this time of year without acknowledging that the birth of Jesus is one of the most significant events in all of history. Uh, that is true for everyone, everywhere, even if you don't believe the story, even if you've never heard the story. This matters. So I want to look at why it matters today. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 1, to that genealogy. And just like we've done in the past few weeks, we're going to zoom in and focus on one particular character. And I'm going to read not the whole list of names here, just the very beginning and the very end. 
So Matthew begins his gospel with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here he goes. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And from there, Matthew walks us through history. He, he goes through the descendants of Jesus from Abraham, the, the, the ancestors of Jesus, from Abraham all the way down to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And along the way, he includes a few names that you would not expect to find in a Jewish genealogy. Uh, we talked about this last week. A list like this would normally not include women or foreigners or notorious sinners. And, and this is where we learn that Matthew gives us more than just a list of names here. This genealogy tells us a lot about the identity of Jesus, and it tells us a lot about who God is. For example, when we see those names that would normally be excluded and deleted, we learn that no matter who you are, God wants you to be a part of his family. It doesn't matter if you've been marginalized. It doesn't matter if you're an outsider. Even if you are a notorious sinner and you've made a complete mess of your life, God still cares about you. He's redeemed others, and he can also redeem you. So let's skip down to the person we're going to focus on today. We'll go right to the end of the list. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. And after naming dozens of Jesus' ancestors, Matthew concludes with this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So we finally arrived at the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. But the character I want to focus on today is Mary. She is a fascinating person, isn't she? Just a small-town girl living in a lonely world. Okay, I apologize for that. I was about to bust into a song there. Let me back up. Mary was a teenage girl from a small village, an insignificant place on the far edge of the Roman Empire, and you never would have guessed that she would become one of the most famous people in all of history. But that's exactly what happened. And it's easy for us to picture Mary in the way that she's portrayed in paintings and sculptures and nativity scenes. In those depictions, Mary doesn't look frightened or overwhelmed or concerned about what the future might bring. But she must have been all of those things because she was human just like us. And the reality is, we have more in common with Mary than we might think. So let's dive a little deeper into Mary's story. And to do that, we need to jump over to Luke. He's the one who gives Mary's perspective. And we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 26. Uh, Luke has been telling us about Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, but now the focus shifts over to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, a lot of times when I read a quote from the Bible, I try to imagine how those words were spoken. Uh, what was the tone? Uh, what, what was the emotion? 
And in this case, I, I picture the angel Gabriel kind of being happy and excited, sort of like, hey, congratulations, Mary. You are one lucky girl. God has picked you out of the crowd, and he has something very special in mind for you. But even if Gabriel was happy and excited, that's not how Mary felt. The two words used to describe her here are troubled and afraid. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Okay, right here, Gabriel mentions an important name from that genealogy, David. Jesus was a descendant of King David, and that was very important, not just because David was a celebrity and a hero from the Old Testament. This was important because God made a promise to David. God promised that the Messiah would come from David's line, and he would be a king, a king who was greater than anyone who came before him. This king would rule not just for a few years, but forever and ever. And guess what? As a young Jewish girl, Mary would have been very familiar with that promise she would have known that God was giving her an extremely important mission. She was to be the mother of the Messiah. And obviously, that task would be a massive challenge in all kinds of ways. But the first thing Mary thinks of is a biological challenge. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And Mary makes an excellent point here. She was a fairly young girl at this time, possibly 14 or 15. And apparently, someone had told her where babies come from. Uh, and she's got to be thinking, this is not normal. Are, are you sure you have the right girl? But then the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So Gabriel explains that a miracle is about to happen. And he also says, listen, Mary, you can be confident that God is able to do this because he's already performing another miracle just down the road. Gabriel mentions Mary's relative, Elizabeth. She's a woman who was too old to have kids, but that's no problem with God. Very soon, Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist. And here's the point that Gabriel is making. You can trust God. No word from God will ever fail. And so now, here's the question for Mary. Will she put her faith in God? Will she trust in his plans instead of her own preferences because she's got some concerns, right? She's troubled. She's afraid. She knows the road ahead would be very difficult. 
But is she willing to put her trust in God despite those concerns? Well, in the next verse, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now, this is one brave girl right here. See, faith is not an easy thing. It wasn't easy for Mary, and it's not easy for us. And one of the hardest things about faith is that it requires you to give up control. You know, we normally have a few ideas about what we think is best. And we have some ideas about what we'd like to do with our lives. But when you put your faith in God, you have to lay down your ideas and your plans. You have to say, all right, God, from here on out, I'm letting you call the shots. And that's what Mary was doing, right? Now, if it was left up to her, I don't believe that Mary would have signed up for this mission. But way back, before the beginning of time, God chose Mary. That was his plan. And he didn't go about it in the way that we would, right? He didn't take applications for this position. He didn't organize some reality show where a bunch of teenage girls compete to become the mother of the Messiah. No, God simply said, Mary, I choose you. He, he did not say, hey, think about it. Take a few days and get back to me. No, it was just, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And then it was up to Mary to have enough faith to get on board with God's plan. And like we just saw, Mary said, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. So that was a big moment. Mary overcame her concerns and she chose faith. She accepted the mission. But you know what? I am confident that in the coming years, Mary occasionally struggled to hold on to that faith. Uh, I'm sure there were moments when Mary questioned this whole thing. Uh, she probably asked, God, are you sure that you picked the right person? I, I, should I really be the one doing this? How do you think Mary felt as she sat beside the manger watching Jesus sleep? I, I bet she looked down at the baby thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who's supposed to grow up and save our people and, and rule over a kingdom that never ends. And I'm supposed to be his mom? I'm supposed to raise him and take care of him and keep him out of trouble? I don't know if I can do this. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Mary was thinking, like I said, she was human. She was just like any one of us. And one of the characteristics of being human is the tendency to question ourselves. And in the time that I have left here, I want to think about a question that we've all asked at one time or another, in one way or another. And the question is this, am I enough? Now, we normally don't say that out loud, and we may not think of it in those exact words, but this question is common to all of us. I believe Mary asked it, and I believe each one of us asks it. For some of us, the question may sound like this. Am I enough to handle what's happening in my life right now? And when times are good, you might feel like the answer is yes. Like, sure, my relationships are good, my job is good, I'm feeling healthy. I'm strong. Uh, I'm in a good place right now. 
I can think of several times in my life where I've felt that way. 2020 has not been one of those times, though. I'm sure that some of you have sailed through this year without a lot of difficulty, but for a lot of us, it's been tough. We've run into problems that we just can't fix. And uh, we have burdens that seem too heavy to carry. And in times like this, we might ask ourselves, am I enough? Do I have what it takes to handle what's going on right now? But there's another way we might question ourselves, uh, and it goes something like this. I try to measure up, but am I enough? We all have a certain standard that we try to live up to. Maybe your standard comes from the Bible. Maybe your standard comes from the expectations of people around you. Maybe your standard comes from within yourself. You have certain goals that you want to accomplish. You have this ideal image of the person you want to be. And at certain times, you may feel like you're getting pretty close to that standard. You ace the test. You get the promotion. You build the home or the family that you always wanted. Or maybe you sort of pride yourself in the fact that you've made a lot of good decisions and you've gotten to a good place. But sooner or later, a day comes when you miss the mark. Instead of winning, you start losing. Instead of making a bunch of good calls, you start to make some bad calls. And when that happens, and you can't seem to get back to that standard that you're aiming for, what happens? Well, that's when you say, I try to measure up, but am I enough? Okay, I'll give you one more version of this question, and this one hits us at a very deep level. In this version, you ask, Do I have any real worth? Am I enough on my own for someone to love me unconditionally? Now, this is another one of those things that we normally don't say out loud, but it is a question that we all have. And we want to know that we have some kind of value that's not based on what we do, but it's based on who we are. At the end of the day, we want to know that we're loved. You know, occasionally you'll hear someone admit that they're asking these kinds of questions. Uh, You might be familiar with Charles, the Prince of Wales. Uh, He's the oldest son of the Queen of England, and he's the next in line to the throne. And the other day I came across an interesting quote from Charles. He said, All the time I feel I must justify my existence. Now, it probably doesn't help that he's been sitting around for decades waiting to become king, but Charles, he's expressing something that is very human. In the end, is my existence really justified? Do I have any real worth? Am I enough? Well, we've asked this question in a lot of different ways, but it's time to come up with some answers. And let's start with number three. Do you have real value? Does anyone love you unconditionally? Well, even though we may not feel like it all the time, the answer to that question is always yes. You are loved and valued by God more than you could ever know. When God looks at you, he has a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. By the way, that's a quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids. But, you know, one thing I ask a lot is, why does God love us like that? Why does he love you like that? 
Well, this is the crazy thing. His love for you is really not so much about who you are. It's about who he is. You you and I don't deserve his love. We've all sinned against him. We've rejected him, rebelled against him. We've put false gods in the place where only he deserves to be. But even while we were sinners, God never stopped loving us. And that's the reason for Christmas. We see that in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, when John says that God so loved the world, that includes everyone. It includes me. It includes you. God looked at you and he said, in my eyes, you have a value and a worth that is priceless. I created you and I'm going to love you no matter what. You know, here at Plum Creek around Christmas time, we usually see a few people who don't normally find themselves in church. And I'm sure that's going to be true today, either here or online. And if that's you, I want to say something real quick. Uh, Maybe somebody invited you to this service. Uh, Maybe you just like to do the church thing around Christmas. But I believe it's no accident that you are listening to this message right now. I believe that God wants you to know that you don't have to listen to the doubts in your head, wondering if you have any real value, wondering if anyone truly loves you, wondering if you're enough. You know, some people expect to come to church and feel judged or condemned, but that's not what God wants. And you know how I know that? I just read John 3.16, but let's go ahead and read the next verse, John 3.17. Listen to this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When Jesus entered this world at Christmas, He came on a rescue mission. He came to save us. In fact, the name Jesus literally means God saves. But here's the thing. You will never be saved. You will never be rescued until you admit that you need saving in the first place. Now, I went back and answered question number three, but uh, I didn't hit number one and number two, and it's really important that we do that. First, Am I enough to handle what's happening in my life right now? And I wish, you could, I, wish I could say that you are. Because uh, that's a message that we hear a lot, right? People say, believe in yourself and you can achieve anything. Have the right mindset and you will be unstoppable. And in a way, those motivational sayings are helpful because we all have the capacity to accomplish more than we think we can do. In another way, though, There's a false promise there because at some point you will come to the end of your ability. You'll come to the end of your strength. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news. With Jesus, you can handle whatever you're going through right now. I'm not saying that he'll solve all of your problems, at least not in this life. But I do mean that he'll be right there with you through the toughest trials through the deepest valleys. And he will give you a strength that comes from beyond yourself. He will give you a peace that doesn't even make sense. 
and he will give you a hope that stretches even beyond this life. So do you have what it takes to handle what's happening in your life right now? By yourself? No. But with Jesus? Yes. And how about that last question? You tried to measure up, but are you enough? Have you done enough for God to say, good job, you made the cut? Well, the answer here is the same as the last one. Uh, Without Jesus, you can never be good enough. You can never become the person that you want to be or the person that God wants you to be. But with Jesus, God has made a way for all of us to be good enough. And if you have given your heart to Jesus and you've experienced a life-changing relationship with him, you don't have to doubt this. You can be 100% confident that you are good enough, not because of your performance, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you're that person who's here just because it's Christmas and you don't really have plans to come back to church until Easter, I hope you'll remember this. The story of Christmas is not just a story. God loves you unconditionally. And because of Jesus, you can be enough. Just like Mary, God chose you. He wants to adopt you to be a part of his family. He he wants to bring significance and meaning and purpose into your life. He wants to transform you in ways that are beyond your imagination. And maybe you're not ready to go all in yet. Maybe you need to take some time to explore this Jesus thing and work through a few questions, and that's totally fine. I invite you to be a part of our Christmas Eve service this week, and then come back next Sunday and the Sunday after that. But then for some of you, I believe there's someone listening right now, and you know exactly what you need to do. You know that it's time to accept the greatest gift ever and begin a relationship with Jesus. If so, we'd love to help you do that. But no matter who you are, I want you to know that what we're talking about is very real. And if you have doubts about that, look at someone whose life has been changed by Jesus. 